0: The next reading of God's word comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 31 to 44. If you'll stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Mark chapter 6, beginning at uh, verse 30. Let's start at verse 30. This is God's word. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat, to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them you give them something to eat. And they said to him shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out they said five. And two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves. And gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. So far the reading of Holy Scripture, we give thanks for it. You may be seated. And as we come to reflect on, these, on this passage, let us pray for God's help. O oh Lord our God, we are glad that you are our shepherd. And even in the desolate places you know where to find or where to make green pastures to let us lie down, to sit down on the green grass as groups, as the group of your church. And you give us provision. You feed us. You feed us on Christ himself. And we are glad for the gospel that even when we do not comprehend how you will meet our needs, when we cannot see how our resources and ability measure up, you are the great and almighty God who can do all things to shepherd your sheep. Cause our hearts to rejoice in these truths as we reflect on these things today. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher, they are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, to serve you better, and we ask it all in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, especially before online baking was easily available on um, just even handhold devices, uh, I tried to keep our checkbook meticulously balanced for, for every transaction, knowing what, what the balance will be, what, what they all should measure out as, that sort of thing. Now, while I was in, in seminary in California, we had lots of bills and a small income, and, and eventually, I mean, although I kept up with the transactions, I, I stopped trying to do the math about how the hours that I worked at a coffee shop, how Sarah's hours at a Christian school, and any side things we did could possibly add up to be enough to cover everything that we had to pay. The, the math on kind of an hourly wage didn't really seem to make sense, for why at least, but we always had at least just enough to make it. It doesn't always make perfect sense to us how God provides for his people's needs. Sometimes resources show up from an unexpected place. Sometimes our resources go further than we expect or are more effective than we initially imagined at a, at a natural, earthly level. And in Mark six thirty-one to 44 God provided through an outright miracle as Christ caused a limited amount of food to stretch far beyond how many people it should have been able to feed. Now, after five weeks of, of pause, we, we probably need a, a little bit of a, a refresher about Mark's gospel and what's going on here. We've seen that this gospel is about answering the question who is Jesus? And what is his kingdom like? Christ is the divine king over God's gospel kingdom. God the Son reigns as the saving redeemer of God's people, enacting gospel blessings of forgiveness and restoration through his reign. And as Jesus began his public ministry, he preached the good news that God's kingdom was arriving, forgiving our sin. He performed miracles, confirming his message's divine origin. When his opponents hit the high point of their hardness of heart to his message, at least veering near to committing the unpardonable sin, he switched his public teaching to parables. And these parables exposed Jesus' his two fo- true followers uh, to the truth about God's kingdom and still made it available to them while concealing it from his opponents. Now we've thought about how Mark uses this uh, strategy of a sandwich, a storytelling sandwich, where he starts a story, interrupts it with another, and then finishes that first story, and they hang together to... Uh, both stories telling us the significance of the other as we take them as a package. Now, uh, all of Mark 6 up to verse 44 is less like one of Mark's sandwiches and more like a, a wrap. Um, several events weave together, roll together, uh, all meant to help us see the developing significance for each part of the story. In verses 1 to 12, uh, we saw the contrast of of Jesus rejected in his own hometown, but but his disciples fruitfully received in new territories. In verses 14 to 30, the, the more direct sandwich of the disciples going out on mission and returning, well, sandwiches around the account of John the Baptist's death. And in the final layer of of Mark's literary rap, we ask two questions. First, how does this portion, verses 31 to 44, close out the story, culminate the story that has been developing so far? And second, how does this story help God's people in the Christian life? So our main point is that Christ provides rest in surprising ways, even in unexpected circumstances. Christ provides rest in surprising ways, even in unexpected circumstances. Our three points this morning are culmination, compassion, and calm. Let's start with culmination. How, how does and what we're thinking about here is how does this miraculous story climax, culminate the events that, that began at the beginning of Mark six? We've seen throughout Mark's gospel that Christ continually defies people's expectations. About the Messiah. He does not at all what they think their Messiah ought to do. We have seen even in Mark 6 how the kingdom of God grows in unexpected ways. We wouldn't expect that the disciples would see more fruitfulness in their preaching than Jesus himself would. We wouldn't expect the kingdom of God to see the most impressive growth against the backdrop of its once most prominent leader being beheaded. That's not how things go when we think at the human level. And Jesus' feeding miracle is a tangible demonstration of how the kingdom of God grows, strengthens, and provides in surprising ways. This miracle encapsulates that implicit point in in a practical way that lands right in the disciples' laps. Just like nobody foresaw Christ achieving victory, his victory through his disciples' preaching, just like nobody foresaw the kingdom of God burgeoning as its, as its former chief advocate died, well, so also nobody foresaw Christ providing for more than 5,000 people through, through a mere five loaves and two fish. It, it is uh, remarkable. We, we should note that it is 5,000 men. They're counting the heads of household and single guys. There's more people than 5,000. This story puts a, a fine point on the surprising nature of how Christ reigns over the kingdom of God for the provision of his people. Now, I want to move actually really quickly to some application. Because I think I've sort of made the, the premise statement already. And I, and I want to use a a really fundamental aspect of the Christian life as our entryway to seeing how this passage addresses us in Christian discipleship. It's easy for us to think that prayer is a waste of time. We never say it, and we don't mean to believe it, and nonetheless, many of us, I think, subconsciously doubt Prayer's power because it doesn't seem active enough. I'm not doing things. We have this sneaking suspicion that we ought to do more than just pray. And we think that way because we slip into a mindset where we think that, well, that we accomplish things and that God just helps us with some of it. It was easy for the disciples. <laughs> To think that Jesus' plan to feed all these people would never work too. Do You want us to go spend a year's wage to, to give them some bread? Really? You can sense the hes- their hesitation about the whole thing from the outset. They, they thought that Jesus needed to set... The, the best way forward is, Jesus, you just send the crowd away to get food. And that's the only alternative to us forking out the dough to get it. We can sympathize, I mean, I think, right? If we we were in that situation where they're in a desolate place, the wilderness, which is not known for easy access to food. And they still didn't see. They still didn't see that Christ produces the greatest fruit in the most unexpected ways. Jesus told them to hand out a small lunch to over 5,000 people. And they probably thought it was a waste of time. This will run out really quick. And although we don't anticipate the same sorts of examples today, God still loves to work and grow his kingdom in unexpected ways where he gets all the glory. And so let's circle back to prayer. It's not that, it is not the case that we just need God's help. We need God to do it. Even if we're involved. We too easily think that, that yeah, yeah, we pray. But really, we just need to get to work. Because it's on me. I'm the one who's got to fix this. It'll be nice if God sort of throws in... A few extra bits, but I've got to bring it to the finish line. Think about, I mean, just as a, as a concrete example, for the last two Sundays, we, we have, heard, I mean, this is, this is an example of how we should learn to think. Um, think about for the last two Sundays, how we've heard about the pro-life cause. It's an issue where we could think that political activism is the, is the real solution. Prayer is just the crutch to help us. Now, I personally, I, I have not been around <laughs> for the whole span of time that we've had to deal with this, but I personally cannot name one primary activist who was responsible for overturning federal pro-life stance. I can name people, even loved members in this congregation who never gave up praying about this issue for literally 50 years. We ought not to lose sight of the way that God brought about that promotion of justice. We ought not to lose sight of how we need to follow suit in every other matter that lands upon us. When I, was, when I was in high school, uh, and the first point is by far the longest, just by the way, <laughs> to set you at ease. Uh, when I was in high school, racing movies uh, were all the rage. I, I won't name them because it would probably dishonor <laughs> uh, One feature uh, of the souped-up racing cars right, was, was a tank of nitrous oxide, It's more flammable than regular gas. And so just a small injection into the fuel lines gives a turbo charge, a strong burst of speed that should take off for a little bit of time. Everything else is still normal, just a little bit of turbo injection. And I think we might mistakenly think that prayer is just a turbo charge. We keep driving, it's still on us, the normal thing, and God just gives us a quick little burst of energy to help. I know it's easy to fall into this sort of thinking, because I too readily do it, and have to repent, and even this week, I, I was in Philadelphia for a few days giving a, a lecture, and and I know that some very difficult things were weighing on several of them. And I kept turning over in my head the, the, this feeling of needing to be here. And now there's a good sense in which pastors should want to be with our people. There's another sense in which it's very mistaken to, to feel that if I were just here, then we could just fix it. God was teaching me my own sermon point. I'm never the solution. But he works through prayer, surprisingly providing for his people. Christ's miracle of feeding the 5,000 teaches us to trust the Lord when we cannot see the way forward on our own ability. Without Christ's divine blessing upon that small amount of food, of course it wouldn't have fed more than 5,000 people. And what's interesting here is we don't know how this miracle happened. We know that it's a miracle, but we don't know the mechanics of it. Did just a big batch of food show up? Was it the last loaf in the, in the bottom of the basket and they, they would hand it out and that's the last one and there's another one? We don't know. And you know what? That's good for us. Because in most situations of our lives, we don't know. And God does it. God acts for his people even beyond our comprehension. Without Christ's blessing on our most desperate moments, of course we will not succeed. We don't we don't we don't have Jesus' special instruction for the moment for how he will provide. But we have his word to direct our trust and prayer to seek his provision. And this story is the culmination of events about God's kingdom surprising growth because it sums up how Jesus always abundantly provides for his sheep when it looks like he can't. And that brings us to our second point. Compassion. Compassion. So, thinking about these verses, 31 to 44, concerning Christ's surprising provision for his people, it helps us see the depths of Christ's compassion. It's not just a, a, a miracle that we should zoom past. Think, oh, that was, that was pretty impressive. This takes us to the very character of Christ. The whole story began as Christ took aside his disciples for rest. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So, so notice, Christ is giving rest in a desolate place. Now, think about that. Even as we, as we sort of look to transpose this for our, our own lives, he didn't take his apostles to paradise. He didn't book a luxury resort. He, he didn't give rest by booking fine dining since their upcoming dilemma revolves around the scarcity and simplicity of the food on hand. If that's not the case, well then, how did Christ give them any rest? Well, they got to spend time with Jesus. Christ's own presence is the source of deep rest in the context of unrest. Taking a nap doesn't make our problems disappear. They they carry on when we wake up. Hitting the spa doesn't relieve your burdens. You just get to carry them with exfoliated skin on the other side. What does Psalm 23 teach us? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's where we are. I will fear no evil. Because you're with me. It's not. You're going to take me out of it. It's you're with me there. We may stay in that valley. But have rest. In Christ's presence. The nearness of of the Lord puts us at ease. And that's why Christians have to be members of a church. Lord's Day gatherings are are when God promises His special presence among His people to build us up through word, sacrament, and prayer. God's presence gives rest no matter the circumstances. And Psalm 23 also says the Lord is my shepherd. Implication being, I shall not want. We need one particular shepherd. A specific one. The Lord. Mark 6 underscores that reality for us. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They needed divine compassion because they lacked the divine shepherd. Mark is again highlighting Jesus' identity as God for us. Ezekiel 34, which is John was reading that, I almost wanted to stop and just preach that text instead. Ezekiel 34, 5, and 6. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep And I will seek them out. I'll make a covenant of peace with them. And I will be their shepherd. God promised to be the shepherd to his shepherdless people. And Jesus sees when and how we are in need. And Jesus' compassion upon this group of sheep without a shepherd is just a smaller instance of what God the Son did by coming to earth to save us. God saw that we, as Ezekiel tells us, saw that we were sheep without a shepherd, and so the Son came to be the divine shepherd. He came because he looked upon us all And had compassion. Coming to be our shepherd. To lead us in the valley of the shadow of death. Christ has always seen our need. Seen us in our need. And always come to his sheep. To provide for us. Because he has always had compassion for us. Every time we know a reprieve. From our troubles, we know the character of Jesus because he has had compassion on us, seen us once again, and acted to provide. We come to our final point, calm. It's astounding to me how Ezekiel 34 really is the, the prophetic version of Psalm 23 and Mark, this portion of Mark 6 is the gospel version of Psalm 23 and Ezekiel 34. And we've thought about how Christ provides for the whole range of his people's needs, considering how this truth spurs us on to greater prayer, and about how Christ's work of exciting provision shows his deep compassion and we're going to finish thinking about how the significance of Christ feeding these sheep two old testament ideas help us see how how profound it was for for Jesus to make sure that these shepherdless sheep were fed fed And so in Psalm 23, about God shepherding his people, David praised God as the divine shepherd because you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Again, God provides amidst trouble, not if you can get out of trouble, there's a table waiting for you. In the presence of the enemies, God has set a table for his people. Fundamentally showing his provision, his care, the way he shepherds in setting a table, giving food. In Isaiah 25, 6-9, to nine, I'm not going to read those, but you can turn it up or I'm going to summarize it. But in this little passage, God set a feast for his people, accompanied with swallowing up death. In other words, well, God acts as the Messiah, the Savior, specifically in, in feasting with his people and providing their salvation. As, as God rescued his people in the Exodus and provided bread in the wilderness, So Jesus in the new Exodus is the author of salvation who overcomes even death itself by his cross. His death, swallowing up the death that was owed to us all. And like the first Exodus, Jesus provides bread in the wilderness. Jesus is God who feeds his people. In John 6, Jesus fed the 5,000. Then pointing to himself as that event's significance. We, we truly need to feed on Christ by faith. Since he is our saving food. In Mark 6.41, Mark wrote, Taking... The five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and set a blessing, or blessed it, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. It's interesting there that Jesus' actions, taking, blessing, breaking, giving, that he took, that he blessed, that he broke, and gave this meal, are the same actions when he blessed the Lord's Supper when he instituted that meal for us. In verse 34, he had compassion by teaching them. And then he had compassion by following his teaching with a meal with him. Jesus' foremost provision as the divine shepherd is to to feed his sheep. He feeds us spiritually spiritually. On his own self. As as we receive him by the mouth of our soul. Which is faith. He teaches us about himself. By his word. As he addresses us. On the Lord's day. He gives us. A physical meal. To demonstrate. And illustrate. What he does for us spiritually. Giving himself to us. And this is a passing application that needs to be expanded later, but it, it fits as, as we work through the gospel. This is a reason why frequent communion is a blessing to God's people. It's striking. Uh, if you watch, there, there were alternatives. And, and Jesus took control of this situation so that people had to be fed by him they could have left, they could have sent them away, and he keeps them there. The disciples wanted the people to find other food, and Jesus makes the point that his sheep need the food he gives. And although we need to think more about it, this is just an entryway, about how How we come to the table, we need to reflect on that before we're ready to take the supper more frequently. We need to see the first qualification for coming to the Lord's table is that we need to be sheep who belong to the divine shepherd. And we can push that further. We need to need Christ's compassion, we need to long for Him to feed us, and we need to trust that he does feed us. We need to know that we are sheep who need a shepherd and a shepherd who will feed us. And we need to trust that he does it. And maybe you feel in particular need right now. Maybe you feel like this season of life is the wilderness. Maybe you feel like your situation is one where the necessary provision is impossible to find. Do you feel like you're in the dry and desolate place? Christ sees you and has compassion. He will feed you on spiritual food as often as you go to him by faith. He is the shepherd who laid down his own life to rescue his sheep and to bring them to lie down in green pastures next to cool water Jesus gives you a restful calm and provision for whatever you need, no matter what wilderness swirls around you right now. It's a beautiful thing to be the sheep who belong to our shepherd. Let's pray. Father God, individually and as your people, we often feel in the midst of trial. We often feel as though this is the valley of the shadow of death, and perhaps for good reason. We often traverse the wilderness, and we need you to find grassy spots for us to sit. We are hungry and know not where to find food, and we need you to give it to us. We are thirsty, and we need the water of life. And so whatever weighs upon us here and now, we ask, O God, that you would shepherd us once again. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures and lead me beside still waters. Praise the Lord for all his provision. We come to you seeking it for every need we have, trusting you to give it to us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.